I'd like to invite you on a walk. Once an institution is large enough, like all large things, it moves with an inevitable momentum and it's very difficult to change course. Smaller organisms in the same environment adapt and arise in response to the movements of that institution or the lack of movement of that institution. The large institution often has to adapt itself but only after smaller groups pose a competitive challenge to it that it really cannot meet without capturing some of the essence of those smaller groups. You might see this in how the US military of the 2000s and early 2010s adapted to terrorist insurgent and guerrilla cells all over the world by letting their special forces start to behave more like that in terms of leaving more initiative to the frontline soldier and letting them operate in smaller groups and trying to make its units much more modular in the same way that a brigade combat team was more modular than a division. Though, by about 2015, as soon as they stopped facing the consequences of constant combat with that enemy, they let go of that format. Similarly with companies like Intel, IBM, and Microsoft, when faced with a sea of tech startups, they started having programs that sometimes were labeled intrapreneurs or more autonomous units within the larger corporation that could move with the speed or some of the speed anyway of a startup as our clubs and our churches have been slowly replaced by online chat rooms, gaming clans, and 
other internet communities. We found many of the rising churches to include more of the culture of the youth. So not only can you find uh, some of the land gaming culture preserved in American churches that might put forward a Starcraft or old school deathmatch competition in their churches, but also the feel of the neighborhood bars rock band for some of their services. It gives these churches some success even as the emigration away from those churches to atomization continues. And we now have a sense that the same thing might happen with nation-states. That we may come up with voluntary associations that capture a lot of the services and values that we might have put in government among, among ourselves, which is to say entities that provide a space for people to exchange and share more speedily. There is a inclination to think that we can do this peacefully. That whatever follows after the state will be able to rise with no violence. It seems unlikely as soon as large parts of the states realize what is happening. So in some ways, maybe slowly coming on, as opposed to coming on suddenly, is part of what might keep that peace, as well as the fact as the kinds of people who are involved in these kinds of initiatives, the kind of person who will roll up a decentralized autonomous organization or join one, are not the kind of people who would stray very far from relying on a state monopoly of violence. But all these seemingly new forms of governance and association and coordination actually have similar patterns that precede them. 
the Jewish networks in medieval Europe, the Islamic networks, um, such as the Hawala networks in the 90s, and the both the European and Indian guilds that functioned in the Middle Ages, though in India they might be regarded as a caste or profession, a uh, clan, profession-based clan. And similarly, uh, many guilds in Europe did have a lot of familial ties as marriages were had between the families that were involved in that trade. It's a lot easier, in some ways, to trust that the interests of someone related to you are more tied to you than the interests of someone who isn't. And so that's always been a tried and true way of establishing some sort of deeper tie. Similarly, we have the pirates in the golden age of piracy who even attempted a, a little republic, a pirate republic, in Nassau. Where each pirate crew was voluntarily joined, even realizing that, or, or most of them anyway, even realizing that that meant they were enemies of the rest of the world. where they had their own codes based on each crew's preferences. Though we don't really know too much about the ability of each pirate to leave that crew. Our modern equivalents will probably have to be very difficult to get into and very easy to leave with DAOs it seems on the surface I think to anyone involved in them that they're easier to get into than say a fortune 500 company and that you can invest in a DAO much more easily than you can become an accredited investor unless you were born to money or someone gave you money or you had the luck to be interested enough in a occupation that paid you a lot per year from a young age and you could then work for 10 years and turn that into maybe the chance at becoming an accredited investor. And so, it would seem that it is much easier to get involved in a DAO. But actually, that process is opaque to people who have not been interested, sincerely, since the start. What is opaque is the culture 
because not even the people forming DAOs themselves have any idea of what it is. Because when we're doing something new, we are fucking around to find out. And that uncertainty is very difficult to get into if you're used to a lifetime of having a clear path that has been trodden on well by other people to the point that it is paved, such as the path to becoming an accredited investor. There are tons of fire guides, guides to get a lot of money and retire early, and you can probably pick and mix and match any of those guides that are well documented. And then there are tons of guides about how to become an accredited investor. And many more guides on how to be an employee at a Fortune 500 company. The entire education system is generally pointed at that. So if that was your desire, it is very easy to do in the sense that everything else is driving you and pushing you toward that outcome. Everyone knows that to succeed, you need a good education. That you should get a bunch of A's in high school and be very involved in multiple extracurricular activities and ingratiate yourselves with your teachers and other people who might be able to give you proper letters of recommendation. And then after you do that, you then need to study. And there are hundreds of techniques that you can look up to do that to make sure that you make the grade. And the game that you're playing is to make the grade as well as impress any of your professors that you might have um, so that perhaps they will introduce you to their networks of friends in business or government or elsewhere. And then you can use that in turn to, once you graduate well, with to get another job. Or maybe go to grad school. Uh, or maybe transfer to an Ivy League school. Whatever your particular brand of success is. So that path is very well trodden. And in a sense, it is easier than having to pay attention to a dozen different discords and hundreds of diff different Twitter threads and hanging out in a whole bunch of different encrypted chats, all to get a sense for the individual culture of each group that might be doing something that might result in getting gold or glory, so to speak. Or simply fixing a problem in the world that a large institution will not fix. Because its continued existence relies on that problem not being fixed. So all that is actually quite opaque, quite uncertain, and quite difficult for most people. It might even be generationally cached. Most Dao people seem to be younger millennials.
or somewhere on the cusp between younger and middle millennials. Not as many Zoomers or Gen Xers or definitely not many boomers in anything except consulting roles. And so that is a gate of a sort. And so it makes sense that people who, say, went to a proper liberal arts college or an Ivy League school might complain about gatekeeping in DAOs. Because there is a gate. It is not intentionally constructed. It's a similar gate to the gate in programming, which tends to have the least barrier to entry of any high-paying career choice in terms of educational requirements and class requirements. It does have the requirement of technical skill, and that is the issue. It's hard to develop technical skill in anything if you're not sincerely interested. So that is a gate of itself. It's very possible for you to get a uh, well-paying job as a consultant, management consultant, or a member of some sort of government bureaucracy or university bureaucracy without ever really liking your job. It's not really possible to do that on some level while pursuing something much more technical, much more rigid in its skill. You will eventually burn out in some way without amphetamines, which uh, many people do acquire to keep on doing their jobs. However, as we mentioned a little earlier, there are aspects of this that are not new. There are aspects of answering to multiple organizations of being involved in multiple polities and entities at once. And it's only in recent times that we could have the benefit of saying, I work in one place. If you belong to the middle class, to say, one nation, one religion, one occupation. It's relatively new in the in the thousands of years for some places, hundreds for others. The mandala system in Southeast Asia is sort of a contemporary to the feudal system in medieval Europe or any other sort of vassalage system such as what the Japanese had before the shogunate for fully took over. So, in the mandala system, multiple 
entities answer to multiple other entities. So instead of just having one state to lord over you, if you were a smaller state, if you were a client state, maybe you had multiple lords that you played off against each other. And maybe you phrased things in such a way that you weren't giving them tribute to serve them. You were merely giving them gifts. And they wouldn't mess with you as long as the gifts kept coming. As long as you provided enough support for the most part. They would have no way of actually coming into one of those rainforest places with its densities, both human and plant and animal, dense human places, uh, very hard to penetrate for a state. It's no accident that East Malaysia and Laos and Cambodia have some of the most difficult peasant societies difficult for any central government to tame and domesticate because really if you have to trudge through a swamp or a rainforest uh, to to have an idea of how to of what to extract from a local population that's already a huge issue added to the fact that in a place that rich with life it is so difficult to tell what's what in terms of the local plants if you weren't from that area that all by itself is confusing enough that you might very well walk past entire plantations full of things that could ostensibly be taxed but you wouldn't know to tax them because you don't live in the area so you don't understand what a sago palm looks like in addition to all the other plants that are there you know you'd instead of just dealing with wheat or rice uh, as you might in some other area you're dealing with hundreds of different crops so those difficulties uh, the density of life in Southeast Asia led to something called the Mandala system where again each polity answers to several other polities and this traces some of its roots to India and the Arthashastra the the book that was a guide for kings India being a vast place with lots of different uh, environments itself, including jungle and rainforest environments where it would be difficult to reach the local population and where it'd be useful to leave much autonomy to whoever you consider your vassals. So it's possible then in such an environment to play off multiple entities against each other to maintain your own autonomy. So you might, in a mandala situation, have many lords. In the same way 
that today in many corporations you might have many managers that if you have the skill you might play them against each other to have autonomy in your own work even though most of the time if you properly submit to them you might find yourself in a situation where you simply can't get anything done because they are telling you they're giving you contradictory commands and expecting you to follow them which is where the skill of playing them off against each other comes into play and this is a skill that probably has hidden itself well and continues to exist extremely in both South India and Southeast Asia. Less less sure about South India, but definitely Southeast Asia. The ability to appear very nice and kind comes in part from having to play off so many powers. However, as long as you give your sensible lords what they want, if you give them some sort of tribute, then they won't actually notice what you're doing. So you might be able to get an overall lower tax rate, hypothetically, than if you were in a much more centralized system. And that's sort of what we might find ourselves in here in the next 30 years. People talk a lot about collapse. And they are rightly afraid, as anyone has a right to be afraid of change. But collapse almost always means, historically... Uh, spreading out of power away from a central place toward many places that you could then, as an individual, play off against each other. Which means, perhaps, more autonomy for the people on the ground. In the same way that after the Black Death, there was a bigger demand for labor and there were many possible lords who were often in conflict which created opportunity for many young men who weren't born into the nobility to do pretty well for themselves in the hundred years war a collapse might mean something like that for us or Take the example of the Romans in the West, whoever the local magistrates were, would be able to seize a little more power, and various tribes, ethnicities that might have lain dormant during the imperial height, were able to reassert themselves. Or at least the people there were able to take on more of their own 
sovereignty. And a lot of people talk about how this just means smaller wars. It doesn't mean no war or no insert bad thing here. It doesn't mean no tyranny. It just means smaller tyrannies. And yeah, that's true. But smaller things are a lot easier to deal with than bigger things. It's a lot easier, for example, if you have a tyrant in a small 300-person Afghan tribe for one person to hypothetically deal with that tyrant than it is for anyone in the United States to deal with the tyranny of the FDA. So, we're not going to cease being human or being creatures in this world. It is yours. And it's mine. Thank you.